And so here in this prayer teaching, Jesus is actually inviting us in and saying, let me show you how to have a conversation with my father. Or, as he teaches us right off the bat, let me show you how to have a conversation with our father. And that's what he's been doing in this prayer. Phrase by phrase, he's been leading us through, showing us how we can have a conversation with God. And here we are at the, at the, the, the very end, really. And we're looking today at the last phrase of this prayer, deliver us from evil. It's interesting to me that Jesus, who starts the prayer with our Father in heaven, ends the prayer with us crying out to that Father for deliverance, recognizing that there is a lot of brokenness, that there's a lot of struggle, that there is evil. There's suffering. There's things that are broken in our lives, broken in our world, things that have been derailed, things that have gone awful, both in our own individual lives, in our marriages, in our friendships, things that have gone wrong in the church, things that have gone wrong in our neighborhoods. We recognize that Jesus is calling us to pray this cry of deliverance in a world that continues to be torn by by racial strife, continues to be torn by hatred, continues to just ignore the people that need so desperately need help. That's the kind of world that Jesus now finishes this prayer saying, pray this, pray to the Father for deliverance. The whole phrase was, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We looked at the first half of that last week. And if you missed it, I encourage you to pick up on it because this kind of, kind of builds on it. But the question is, why? Why would Jesus end this prayer this way? What is he trying to teach us? How does this inform the way that we talk to the Father? The reality is, evil is something that we struggle with. I don't think you have to look very far to see evidence for evil. Even people who have wrestled with the existence of God or how that all works, and I get that, have to acknowledge or at least struggle with, okay, there's the existence of God question, and we wrestle with that, but what about the existence of evil? How do you explain that within your worldview or within your understanding of the way the world works? Because you don't have to look very far to see the evidence of it. Well, when Jesus teaches us to pray, deliver us from evil, I think there's at least three things he wants us to know right off the bat. Three truths, as it were. Things that are pretty basic, but I think they underscore and they underline what Jesus is saying here. And it's important for us to to get them because it's part of the framework that Jesus is offering uh, to us. So let me rattle them off. Today, I'm just going to give you some of the stuff that I think was challenging to me or encouraging to me or helpful to me. And then I want to open it up to discussion. really don't want this to just be a big monologue. I'd love to hear from you, response, comments, questions. And so we will have time for that a little bit later. Uh, so you're warned now and you can get ready with that awesome comment or question. The first thing that Jesus wants us to know is that we have an enemy, that, that we have an enemy, that evil is real, that there, there, there is a, a personal evil, there is uh, you know, evil in the world, and, and, and that we are facing this enemy. Now, that may or may not be something you've thought a lot about, maybe something that even scares you a bit, 
and, and you have to hear the rest to, to know that, that's, that the story what Jesus is teaching us doesn't end there. But he does want us to understand that. We have an enemy. One of the letters in the Bible in the New Testament written by the Apostle Peter, he was warning uh, a group of Christians that were suffering a lot in their context. They were under a lot of pressure. And they were experiencing a lot of hardship. You could say from evil or from the evil one or maybe just evil governments. But they were struggling. And this is what he said to them in 1 Peter 5. He said, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. There's evil, there's struggle. We have an enemy. Now, when we consider that whole question of who the enemy is, um, well, I imagine if we were to poll everyone here, we'd have kind of a range of opinion. There'd be some of us who'd say, that is a bunch of mythological nonsense. We just use that to explain. You know, there'd be others of us who'd say, absolutely, I saw one this morning on the drive to church. Right? So you have the whole spectrum. And that spectrum presents a bit of a challenge. One of our old writers from the last century, a formative writer for me, was C.S. Lewis. And a lot of us have read his children's stories or other stuff. But he wrote a collection of little letters. Actually, we have it for sale on a little book kiosk there. He wrote a collection of little letters called the Screw Tape Letters. Have you ever heard of these? If you've never heard of this, this is going to come across strange to you. But what it is is it's an elder demon writing advice letters to a younger demon in their attempts to win over and destroy this young man and, and eventually a Christian's life. And, and so it gives this funny, very fascinating uh, you know, opinion, view, view on things. It's really interesting. But in his preface, he talked about this belief about evil or the evil one or the enemy or devils, as he puts it. And, and this is what he says. It's, it's really helpful. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, he says. One is to disbelieve their existence. It's all a bunch of cultural stuff. It's all a bunch of nonsense. It's just the way we've explained it. Disbelieve. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, referring to the, the devils as it were, they themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And they hail a materialist who doesn't believe in devils or a magician who has an unhealthy, uh, unhealthy obsession. They hail them both with the same delight. So we can fall off on this spectrum. What Jesus wants us to know is, yes, there's an enemy, but there's more to it than that. We neither need to disbelieve or you know, ignore it, but nor do we need to have an unhealthy or over-fearful perspective of them. You know, uh, if you've prayed the Lord's Prayer at all, you know that this is, the, this is one of the lines here at the end of the prayer that some of us pray, delivers from the evil one. Who, who's, who of those of us who maybe prayed this prayer, who's more familiar with that line? Delivers from the evil one. Okay, and then the other phrases, of course, deliver us from evil. And I sound, maybe more of you are familiar with that one. Is that the one you were more familiar with? But the reality is, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, you heard the Lord's Prayer, maybe it, you, you kind of have to decide in advance, okay, which one are we doing here? We used to, first of all, we have to say, are we doing trespasses, sins, debts? Okay, cover off that one. And then, are we doing the evil one or evil? Because it's often one or the other. And so the question is, well, which one is, is better? 
The reality is, I think both are true. I think what we hear from Scripture, and you see it all the way through, is that we, we do have an enemy. In other words, there is the evil one, this personal being, however it's understood, fallen, angel, whatever, who has set itself, himself, whatever, up against God's will and, and has, has minions at his, at his disposal, and he goes against the will of God in the world. He wants there to be destruction. He wants, he wants marriages to be ripped apart. He wants lives to be destroyed. He wants children to be abused. He wants nations warring against other nations. He wants churches just, just flying apart at the seams. That's the kind of enemy we have. And so everywhere where, where goodness is or beauty or, or God's will is being done, there is an enemy who wants to fight against that. And that's just true. We understand that from Scripture. But we also recognize that there's also evil more generally. There are evil forces. There are systems of injustice. There are cultural forces that may be influenced by the evil one, but often humans have, had, uh, have not needed a lot of help. You know what I'm saying? And, and we have committed evil, and there's been principalities and powers that are, that are maybe both demonic, as it were, but also have been influenced by centuries of rejection of what God wants. And, and so there's, there's more cultural forces or or, uh, you know, maybe sometimes um, forces where, you know, cycles and patterns that we have. And, and we can acknowledge that, that humans have also perpetrated, created um, evil, bitterness, unforgiveness, ugliness of all sorts. So we have an enemy. That's the first thing Jesus wants us to know. But the most important thing that we all have to remember is that this enemy, Jesus has already faced this enemy. He's already faced him. And as we'll hear, he came out the winner. Jesus did. Okay, second thing that we learn that Jesus wants us to know is that we're at war with this enemy. You've already picked this up. The war rages on. Jesus wants his followers to know that they are in a world that is, in a very real sense, at war. There's a raging battle that's going on. A raging battle with these evil forces, with the evil one. And so as a result, those who follow Jesus are not isolated from that attack. We heard that in the reading uh, Peter talked about how you, know, you weren't the only one suffering. In fact, all those who follow Jesus are experiencing a similar kind of struggle because we are in a war. His followers need to know that. It helps them, and we'll talk about this a little later, so they understand what is truly going on. And it's in this war that we're called to stand up in the strength of Jesus. I want to read from you a, from a letter that Paul wrote to a, a group of Christians and uh, it's in the book of Ephesians. But he talks about this war in some ways that I think are helpful. Listen to this. It's in, from Ephesians 6, chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he uses a metaphor of a Roman, uh, a Roman soldier's armor. Okay, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, and this is super important because we often think our struggles with that person or those guys over there. That's what humans have often thought. And we can forget that, as he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. And he's talking about spiritual realities here. Against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore... Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then 
with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. We are in a war. It's often not the war people think is being fought, but we recognize as Christians we have an enemy and we are at war. And what's super important to remember is that in this war we are fighting an enemy that Jesus has already fought, already won, and we fight it in his strength, knowing that he has already won. The third thing that Jesus wants us to remember is that we have a deliverer. That's why he's telling us to say, deliver us from evil. Pray this to the Father. We have a deliverer, and he is our Father. That the Father is powerful, that the Father is able to deliver us, that this is who God is, is so crucial to the whole story. You know, one of the primary backstories to the Bible is the story of the Exodus. Now, some of you are very familiar with that story, and others maybe not as familiar, but this is the story where God's people had been in Egypt for hundreds of years and they had been enslaved. And they cried out to God, deliver us from evil. They were crying out. God heard their cry and responded by coming in and in a huge power encounter, you could say between the one true God and the gods of Egypt, the one true God just dismantled Egypt to bring his people out, to deliver his people. He destroyed the gods of Egypt and brought his children out. He is the deliverer. And that is the backstory. And then, and then further on, how, how the New Testament writers understand is that then what Jesus did by becoming one of us, by living the perfect life we couldn't live, by dying the death we couldn't die, and dying it in our place, and then rising again from the dead by destroying the works of the evil one, destroying the devil himself, destroying death, Jesus affected our deliverance. He becomes our deliverer. The new exodus has happened in Jesus. We weren't just delivered out of slavery to an evil regime. We were delivered out of slavery to sin. We were delivered out of slavery to fear. We were delivered out of slavery to death. We were delivered and now made God's children, part of God's family, to live in freedom, to live in power, to live in forgiveness, to actually experience all that God has for us. In Colossians, another letter we hear Paul write that he, the Father, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We have an enemy, we're at war, but we have a deliverer. It's all important to know. These are the three kind of basic truths. They're all over in Scripture, but they sit behind this phrase that Jesus invites us to pray when we say, Father, deliver us from evil. We do have an enemy. We're in the middle of a war, but our Father is our deliverer. A couple more things, and then we'll move to discussion. How does knowing these three things really help us? How does it change the way that we pray? I think a, a few things, and then, we'll, and then we'll open it up to you. First of all, Jesus is giving us the inside scoop on what is truly happening around us and in our lives. You know, we spent all of last year going through the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, right? How many of you are still kind of 
you know, recovering from that. I am. Anyway, so we, we talked at length uh, uh, about the fact that this revelation is called an apocalypse, right? An apocalypse isn't mushroom clouds and buildings falling down. That's not apocalypse. Apocalypse is the pulling back of a curtain, the opening up of a door where we're shown what is really real, what's really going on behind the scenes. That's what it means. That's what apocalypse means. By asking us to come to the Father and say, deliver us from evil, Jesus is reminding us of what is truly happening around us. He gives us a perspective on our daily struggle. Because the truth is, we can forget. We can think we're just kind of drifting along. And things are just kind of happening. Bad things happen, good things happen, and hey, that's just kind of luck of the draw. The reality is, we're not just drifting along. We're in the middle of a world that is at war. And Jesus reminds us, even in this part of the prayer, that we need to be vigilant because if we forget that we're in this war, we're going to end up missing, or maybe better yet, misinterpreting what is actually going on around us. This helps us see why marriages are struggling. There's an evil one who wants to see every marriage rendered heartless, cold, make it end. Leave everyone hating each other. That's what the evil one wants to do. This, this helps us remember as we pray, when we pray, deliver us from evil. It helps us understand our own temptations and our own trials. It helps us interpret the difficulties that are going on in our relationships. It helps us as we read the news and we want to blame that person or blame that political party or blame that idea. And those are influences, don't get me wrong. But it reminds us as we see what's going on in the world around us or in our own lives, hey, what's really going on behind the scenes here is that we're in the middle of a war, that there is an evil one who seeks to devour and destroy anything that is good, anything that is God's. Jesus pulls back the curtain because he knows that if we can really see what's going on, even if we don't fully understand everything that's going on, but we understand that there is a war, we can then come and pray according to the Father's will that he would deliver us, meaning that he would bring freedom and grace and forgiveness, that he'd rescue those who are stuck, that he'd restore those who are broken, that he'd bring healing to the wounded. That's what we're praying when we pray deliver us from evil. The second thing Jesus is doing here is he's leading us again to a daily trusting dependence on the Father's power. He's been doing this already in the second half of the Lord's Prayer. He, first of all, leads us to a place where we recognize our need for God's provision in our lives, right? We depend on him to provide. Yes, our daily bread, but larger than that. We talked about all the different ways we recognize that we depend on the Father. In the the second part, we talked about forgiveness, and recognizing the beauty of, of receiving forgiveness and also the beauty and the freedom that comes from offering forgiveness. But we recognize that in that we're dependent on the Father and His forgiveness of us. And now here, as we pray for protection and deliverance, we are again expressing our daily trusting dependence on the Father, that we aren't the ones who deliver us, that we aren't going to somehow figure out a way to save us out of this mess. Or fix this world. Well, there's things we can do for sure. But ultimately, it's not all about us. Maybe it's not about us at all. Jesus wants us to know who's in our court. 
who's with us in this so that we can fully depend on the Father as we pray, as we live, as we respond. The third thing, and then we're going to open it up to questions, is this. Jesus wants our daily prayer, and this has been true all the way through the prayer, to really focus on the Father's care for us. Not, even though now we're talking about evil, he does not want the focus of our prayer now to become the evil one. Yes, we have an enemy. Yes, we're at war. Yes, we're aware. We're not ignorant of his schemes, but we're also not fixated on them either. We're not fearful of them either. Jesus doesn't want to be us to be duped into an unhealthy obsession or fear or anything. Rather, I believe, Jesus wants us, this is consistent all the way through, to focus on our Father, not on our foe. So we're praying, deliver us from evil, but the focus is we're praying to our Father who cares for us, our Father who knows what's going on, our Father who is far more aware of exactly the complexities of my relationships and my marriage and my workplace and my home life and my valley and the things that are going on in the world, far more aware with deeper wisdom and understanding and we're coming to him and we're focusing on his care. We focus on the father, not the foe. Those are at least three things that are helpful, I think, for us and why Jesus leads us to pray, deliver us from evil. Well, what do you think? Thoughts, comments, questions, response? Um, how does this help you in your prayer conversation with the Father? Somebody's going to walk around with a microphone. Olin's going to walk around with a microphone. And uh, if you've got a question or a comment or a response, just put up your hand and Olin will jog over the microphone for you. So go ahead, put up your hands. Questions, comments, thoughts. How does this help? How does this challenge you? Clarification, anything. Joan, right up here at the front. Well, I have an issue with the original, uh, the the concept of the evil one. So I'm in the ignore, it doesn't exist camp. And I, I just wonder, why is there an evil one, if there is one? And what's in it for him or it to disrupt everything? Great. Thanks, Joan. And thank you for your, I mean, you and I have had lots of conversations. Thank you for your candid honesty here because you give others the courage to also ask their questions. I think the question of like the origin of evil or like where did it all come from is a bit of a hard, hard thing, right? Because there are certainly ideas and opinions and even hints here and there. But it, it is admittedly kind of a hard thing to get back to like, how exactly, or why exactly, or what's going on? And so um, we could talk about that. I think the greater challenge is that the, the, when we look at the world around us, both history and contemporary, that all of us will admit to some extent that there's something wrong. There are a few philosophies out there, uh, maybe even a, a religion or two, who have a way of dealing with it that suggests it's just, it's just not real. But many of us would say, no, I can see or hear about a, a news story or I can, I can, I can, you know, something can happen to me and I can recognize that's wrong. It's, 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 it's awful. It's even evil. And so broadly speaking, many of us will acknowledge that. The question then becomes, is there a personal being 
Or is there, is there, are there personal beings, like demonic beings, devils as it were, or even one in particular, the devil himself? A couple of things. One is that we would understand if, if, um, if you accept, and I say this broadly and not, and not imagining that all of you do this, but if you accept the authority of, of Scripture, what we have in here is a pretty clear experience where Jesus met a personal enemy called the devil. Um, and there is all the way through Scripture um, indications that there is a personal being that has sent, I say himself, but only because the pronoun itself, whatever, it's not a, it's not a gendered thing, um, has set itself against God, against what is good. And that, that is fairly consistent through Scripture. And so if that's something that you would say, well, I, I believe that, then, then we have that to grapple with. The larger sort of philosophical side for me would be that if you get right to the heart of everything in the world and in history, it's usually something very personal. And so while we, I don't mean a, a yin-yang thing, I don't mean dualistic, where you have God who's personal on one side, therefore you have to have a devil who's personal on the other side. I don't believe that, because the devil was, we would understand, created, created good, but rejected God, had the ability to reject, and as a result now is fallen away, and now is against the Father. But he's not equal to the Father. He's a defeated enemy who will be eventually utterly destroyed but still somehow in the middle in this middle time has the ability to act still to mess things up still limited but still real and so we have a personal being because i think most everything in the world has a personal aspect to it the things that are really big and really true Um, and when we dig into um, history and we dig into our own personal stories there's a recognition that while humans can be evil, for sure, when you get into some of the most evil stuff, um, there's a sense in which they are no longer in control. They are now being controlled, as it were, by something that is far more evil, far greater, far more powerful than they are, and it seems to suggest a personal being of some kind. Um, I don't think, and this is important for me, I don't think that that should be the explanation for everything. I I don't think that. I think we could easily begin to excuse ourselves as a people, but as personally excuse ourselves, like the devil made me do it, as it were, excuse ourselves from our personal responsibility to do what is right. But recognizing that we have an enemy then gives clarity to the fight that we have um, and often what God is calling us to uh, fight is not, of course, going to, when you even talk about the armor of God we put on, it's not the flesh and blood fight, but it's fighting against evil by loving our neighbor, by forgiving those who persecute us, by doing good to those who have harmed us, by essentially breaking the cycle of evil, by doing what Jesus did, by sacrificing ourselves so that life can come, even if it is to the detriment of our own comfort, sometimes even our own lives. Thanks, Joan. I know that's big, big, big question. I'm sure we'll have more conversation about it. Darlene. Um, I was just wondering, like, the is the the uh, prayer like is it different from like united 
or are, is it the same? Because when I was in, when I went to church, we we prayed mm-hmm. with the with this prayer, yeah. and I was just wondering if there was a difference, like for the different churches, or or what is you know what is what? Yeah, thanks, darling. There are variations of this prayer even within the Bible. So uh, we get there's two gospel writers that write about this. There's Matthew who gives us the longer version, and there's Luke who gives us a shorter version. And, and so even in the Bible, we have two, you could say, Lord's prayers. And, and they are different. Like anyone who's, if you prayed the Lord's prayer for a long time and then you read Luke's prayer, you won't be happy with it. Actually, you might be if you want a really short prayer because it drops a lot of it off. But So right there we have variations. And then through history, because we have different translations, it's all originally in Greek, right? So we have different English translations. They've been updated, changed. Some of them put into prayer books that have become a very significant part of people's um, liturgical or worshiping experience. So I think the answer to your question, Darlene, is yes. There's lots of different variations. There are some fairly standard variations that people will follow. Um, the biggest changes will be on some of the, you know, do you, who art in heaven or are in heaven. I mean, those, a lot of those are just language updates. And, and then you have things like, do you say transgressions, sins, or debts? Do you say um, evil one or evil? But broadly, it's going to be pretty similar in terms of... And then um, every Lord's Prayer out there will add, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Well, that's not actually in the original. That wasn't... Uh, Jesus never said that. Um, but that's usually how we end the prayer as well. So a lot of it's language translation, some of it's traditions. But broadly, it would be surprising... Christians across many, many different traditions, many, many different places and languages will know a Lord's Prayer that's quite similar. It's kind of beautiful. Yeah. Other questions, comments? Sherry over here, Owen. And then was there another one back there? Just a couple couple more questions and we'll wrap up. Uh, Where I struggle um, is when I'm reminded or remember about the idea that um, there's, a, you know, this personal being that's the evil one, and it's not people that I'm fighting against. It just feels that way. Um, and when I'm then led to pray about, you know, being delivered from this evil, I don't know how to pray. Yeah. I mean, I can use that, but it's not enough. <laughs> like I feel yeah. this great need for, the, and I don't know how to pray about it. Thank you, Sherry. A uh, couple things. One is, we've been encouraging all of us all summer that to use this prayer as kind of like a framework. So I'm just I'm adding what you're saying, and then I'll answer that. In that sense, that at every one of these phrases, we can stop and spend some time, as it were, and and it becomes like a framework for our prayer. And on our prayer day coming up on Saturday, the Lord's Prayer will form the framework for the day. And so uh, we, we can even expand it out, uh, out that much. Um, the other thing would be, we often don't know how to pray, right? I mean, that's other prayer teaching we receive in the Bible is that there are times when we just don't know how to pray. And we are thankful that the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us as a gift, knows how to pray, particularly in those times where we don't know how to pray. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness and when we don't know how to pray, he prays for us, from us. He intercedes for us. And so that, that's a beautiful thing. But you actually, and I will go to other questions 
first, you're actually providing a perfect <laughs> segue into um, what we're going to do to c- close today, which is to pray for some of the different ways that we need to pray deliver us from evil, some of the different aspects. And so maybe even as we pray, as we close today, it may help answer some of the how we pray in the midst of that. But, but for sure we can take confidence that even when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. Any other questions or comments before we close up? Jerry. At the uh, beginning of Jesus' ministry here on earth, the Holy Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted. Can you just elaborate how that might fit in with this? Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. So at the the beginning of Jesus' life, and a number of the gospel writers highlight this, Jesus is taken into a wilderness for 40 days, and he is tempted or tested by the devil. And there's a personal encounter. There's three different specific ways that the evil one tries to get Jesus to really divert Jesus from the mission, uh, uh, mistrust the Father, and essentially come under the influence of the devil himself. And a couple things. One is Jesus counters the devil through the word of God in the power of the Spirit. It's exactly how we're supposed to do it. Whereas you and I would have failed miserably out there in the wilderness, Jesus succeeded. He was victorious even there over the devil, and he did it for us. Even the 40 days, every commentator in the history of Christian reading will tell you that it was representative of the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness absolutely failing every test they were put to. And Jesus now, for 40 days, comes out of the wilderness, having defeated the evil one with the word of God, and he comes out in the power of the Spirit and begins to minister. It's like the inauguration of his ministry. But he even did that for us. Certainly it gives us, um, it shows us that there is an evil one who is plotting. It even gives us an indication, if we look at that story, of how the evil one tries to undercut Jesus goes after his identity, goes after the trustworthiness of the Father, goes after his own physical needs. And there's a number of ways that the devil tries to get at him. But the big thing here is that Jesus was utterly and totally victorious. And so now, I mean, victorious there. He was victorious in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was victorious on the cross. He was victorious when he rose again from the dead. He's still victorious today. We live in between what has been called the, you know, the, the day that he defeated Satan on the cross and resurrection and the day when he'll really mop everything up. We're in between that, but the reality is we're fighting a defeated foe because of what Jesus has done. There's lots more we can say on that. That's a whole other whole sermon. Okay, let me wrap it up. I'm sure there's more questions just coming to you now, uh, but we'll, we'll, uh, hey, we'll have more discussion at uh, Chick Cafe that's coming up right now afterwards. I think you can see that this whole prayer is significant. And particularly this, this petition, I, I think that there's something really helpful about how Jesus ends this prayer. And I hope it's helpful for you personally as you think about your own life, as you think about the challenges, the struggles, the ways that maybe you are suffering or being attacked or whatever. And I hope and trust it is helpful for you personally. This is a bold petition. It's an honest petition. It's grounded in reality and it's rooted in trust. And I I love it. But the petition is, deliver us from evil. Us. 
from evil. And we've emphasized this all the way through. There's a, not only is this a corporate prayer, but it has a corporate application. And so today as we close, I want to focus on how we can pray this as a church or as a community of Jesus' followers. How do we pray this? What does it mean for us to pray, deliver us from evil as a church, as the people of God? And I I, want to just list a few things quickly, and then I want to actually pray this a bit as we close today. And we'll try not to go on too much longer. The first thing that we pray when we pray deliver us from evil is we pray as a church that the Father would deliver us from anything that would destroy our relationships with each other. We're going to pray that he would preserve us from the kind of things that would tear us apart. The evil one wants nothing more than to derail the church through relationship strain, misunderstanding, bitterness, unforgiveness, uh, not seeing eye to eye but not being willing to deal with it, whatever it is. He wants to get you and I to turn against each other. And we see this in the New Testament. We see this in history. We see this in our own lives. If he can get the church derailed with each other, if he can get us so that we're at each other's throats about something, you know, it's, it could be something petty, it could be something big, but if he can get us to turn against each other, then essentially he's won. He can, do, he can, he can take us wherever he wants to go. We're, we're useless. We're, we're in trouble. And so when we pray deliver us from evil, we're giving, this is super important, we're giving the Father permission. When we're saying deliver us, we're saying, Father, you have permission to lead us toward reconciliation, to lead us toward forgiveness, to humble us where we need to be humbled, where pride has got in the way. Father, we're asking you to lead us into deeper understanding, into acceptance of one another because you have accepted us. Father, deliver us from anything. Whether that's the way I'm sort of beginning to think negative thoughts about that person over there, whether it's the thing I heard and, and, and kind of fixated on and wouldn't let go of and it's, it's somehow come between me and someone else or me and a group of people, whatever it is. When we pray, Father, deliver us from evil, we're saying, Father, have your way in us as a, as a community, in our relationships with each other. Deliver us from anything that would destroy our relationships. The second thing we're praying when we say deliver us is we're saying, Father, deliver us from anything that would distract us from your mission. We've said here, we've just captured it this way. It's not, uh, it could be captured in a lot of different ways. We've said as the Erickson Covenant Church, we're committed to helping people find and follow Jesus. That's the mission, right? And so anything that would distract us from the mission. Now, Relationship strife, internal difficulties, that'll distract us from the mission. But also, if the, if the evil one can't do that, can't turn us against each other, then he, what, he'll, what he'll try to do is try to just keep us happy in and among ourselves. You know, try to, try to keep us committed to just being a holy huddle where we just kind of care for each other. And, you know, we hope that people around us in our neighborhood, we hope that people at work, we hope that people around will somehow hear about something positive that's going on in my life or in my family or in our church, and they'll want to check it out. But we don't really 
push. We don't really go. We don't really talk. We don't really share. We don't really risk. We just are happy here to ourselves. We think maybe even, we begin to think that the church is really for me. The church is for us. You know, one of our covenant pastors down in the United States, he leads a big covenant church down there. His name is Craig Groeschel. He said, we don't go to church. And we've said this before on here. We don't go to church. You don't go to church. You didn't get up this morning and go to church. We are the church. And we exist for the world. And we often forget that. No, it's because our language is confusing. We have a building, all that. I get all that. I say at times, and I always say, Lord, forgive me afterwards. Go to church or I'll meet you at the church. We are the church. And we exist for the world. And if there's things that come in the way of that, that distract us from the mission, from the Father's heart for people, for men, for women, for children, then we need to pray that he would deliver us from that. That he would keep us from those things that will distract us from his mission. That he would keep our desire and our passion for the lost white, hot, and burning. And as we go into the fall, I pray that that's true for us as a community, that we would be the church who exists for the world and not be distracted by anything. And so we pray, Father, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from anything that would distract us from your mission of seeing people transformed by you. Related to that, I suppose, is that we need to pray that the Father would deliver us from the temptation to play it safe. So many Christians have bought into this idea that Jesus died on the cross so you can feel good or be comfortable, so that you can be set up, so that you can have the nice life that you always dreamed of having. And don't get me wrong, I've said this many times before, there are just so many ways, if we follow Jesus, life will go better. It's just true. When you let Jesus lead in your relationships, when you let Jesus actually lead in your life, there are a lot of things that get better. Do not get me wrong. But the temptation is to begin to think that, uh, you know, Jesus would never ask me to do anything crazy. He never, Jesus would never inconvenience me. Really? Do you think Jesus would never inconvenience you? That he'd never step in front of you? That he'd never ask you to give something up? Change a plan? Sell something? Do something different with your life? Do you really think Jesus, have you read the Gospels? He is constantly, Jesus is a very big inconvenience to people's life. And what we recognize when we pray, deliver us from evil, deliver us from this idea that we're supposed to play it safe, deliver us from this risk aversion that we have, what we're saying is, Jesus, the Father, we're saying, Father, you have permission to inconvenience me for the sake of the gospel. Inconvenience me for the sake of others. Take me down some notches. Wreck my portfolio if you have to. Burn down the cottage. I don't care. Why? Did I just offend someone? I'm sorry. But Jesus is very willing to get us out of that comfort zone. And he's going to say to us, look, if my people would be willing to inconvenience themselves for the sake of the gospel, go to two services. How inconvenient is that? I'm actually being very serious. Because lots of us don't like it. I don't like two services. Do you like two services? I'm not, no show of hands. 
No, do I like the fact that we're hiring an associate staff, which means I have to give more? Maybe I don't like that. Maybe I don't like the fact that they're constantly telling me to sign up for something, serve, reach out, have a neighbor in whatever. Because I kind of like my life the way it is, and that feels inconvenient or difficult or not as comfortable as I would like. And I'm just here to tell you that Jesus loves you, and he will wreck your life if being comfortable is a value. And so I think when we pray deliver us from evil, we're also praying that Jesus would deliver us, that the Father would deliver us from that kind of idolization of personal comfort. The last two have to do with particular groups. I think when we're praying deliver us from evil, we're praying, for, we're praying against anything that would distract or discourage or destroy our leaders. And I mean our church leaders. I mean specifically myself. I mean our staff. I mean our uh, leaders in various ministries. I mean our leadership team. I mean those of us who have an influential role, and that's a lot of you, to play in the lives of others. That we recognize that if leaders can be taken out at the knees, the whole church can be hurt and harmed in a significant way. And you know, I hope you know, if you know me, you know that I am not capital P pastor who plays on the pedestal and and always emphasizes that you know that's not true. But I've been more aware than ever as God has been at work here, as we've been growing, as we've been risking and reaching out, I've been more aware than ever of how that uh, ups the ante for me, how that challenges me, how... uh, dangerous things can be and also as i extend that beyond myself to our other leaders and so when we pray delivers from evil we're also recognizing as a church that we need to pray for our leaders that our leaders would would be safe that our that our leaders would stay connected to jesus that our leaders would be watchful and vigilant that that we'd be protected against things like burnout or or discouragement or, or or sin that would destroy our lives and so we pray as a church that god would deliver us from evil, deliver leaders. And then, and then the fifth group I want to focus on, and I could focus on lots of different groups, but this one's on my heart, that the Father would deliver us from anything that would distract or discourage or destroy our youth. That is super key. Uh, let me just open my heart to you and tell you that I hope and pray that we will continue to be, that we will be, the kind of church community, you know I don't mean the building, the kind of church that is deeply committed to our youth, children and youth, that we would see them growing up in a community that loves them and nurtures them and isn't just nice to them, but mentors them, that calls them to follow Jesus, that is willing to be inconvenienced for their sake, that we pray for them, that we pour our hearts into them, that we spend time with them, that we, we put money as a church into, into some, you know, focusing on areas of ministry for them, and we do all these things. But I know that the church, if, 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 if the devil can get our youth, he has just hit us in a place that is so close to the heart of the Father. And... We want to be the kind of church that is passionate about our youth, relentless about them. And so we pray that the Father would deliver us from anything that would distract us, would deliver our youth from the evil that would pull them away, 
that would deliver us from, from, from forgetting about them, that, that we'd be the kind of church that really sees our youth grow up following Jesus. Those are just five areas that I think are highlighted. And so as we close today, I just want to pray through them, okay? And then we'll close with the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would deliver us from evil and from the evil one. And though we are in a lot of different spots today, even in terms of our understanding of that, what's most important today is that, Father, we recognize you as the one on whom we depend, the one who can deliver us. And so we ask, I ask specifically today that you would deliver us from anything that would destroy us relationally. Which means, Father, we give you permission to lead us to reconciliation to lead us to forgiveness. We give you permission to root out of our hearts bitterness or anger or gossip or slander or pettiness or difficulty with one another. We ask that you would just root that out and lead us toward life and forgiveness and freedom. We know how easy it would be for the evil one to derail our church if we were to turn against each other and so we ask you father to continue to lead us in life and in freedom in forgiveness and in love toward each other we ask that you would deliver us from anything that would distract us from your desire to see the men and the women and the children of this valley come to know you as we look forward to 2016 rest of 2016 and into 2017 jesus we know that there are men and women and children around us in our neighborhoods, in our town, in our valley, who don't yet know you, who will within the next year. And I ask that you would give us white-hot passion for them, for people who are far away from you, who don't know the hope of you, Jesus, that we would have a white-hot passion for them and you would deliver us from anything that would distract us from your mission. We ask also that you would deliver us from the temptation to play it safe, I know that some of us really wrestle with that and some of us should and we don't. And Lord Jesus, I just ask that you would do what you have to do to shake up our safety and our comfort. Not because you're mean or capricious or difficult, but because you've actually got an incredible plan for us that is good and it's amazing that will result in in greater freedom and joy for us and incredible fruit in others' lives. And so we ask you to deliver us from playing it safe and to lead us into places of risk, just as you have always called us. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would deliver us from evil uh, that would distract or destroy or discourage our leaders. I pray that for myself, that you would deliver me from evil, that you would protect me, that you would strengthen me, that you would enable me to um, continue to to grow and and to be watchful and to be vigilant for the sake of this church and for our leadership team and for our staff, for Joanne and and for uh, Bonnie and for others, possibly Dana, for, for anybody who is in an official capacity of leadership here. We ask for your blessing and your protection on them. For the leadership team, we thank you for their wisdom and ask that you would just continue to protect them against any schemes of the evil one that would seek to distract or discourage or destroy. For other leaders in our community who influence in a variety of ways, who lead in a variety of ministries, I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would just protect us. Father, that you would deliver us. 
from any evil that would destroy or discourage or distract. And Father, of course, for our youth. We love our youth. We are thankful for our teenagers. We're thankful for our kids. And we simply ask, Father, that you would deliver them from evil, that you would deliver them from things that would destroy them, things that would harm them, harm their bodies, harm their souls, harm their hearts, harm their relationships, that you would protect them and that you would remind them each and every day of how loved they are by you and how loved they are by us. And I pray that we as a church would actually put our money where our mouth is, that we'd, we'd, we'd make space in our lives and our hearts, that we'd, we'd lean in so that our youth are loved and are surrounded and are encouraged and are blessed by us as the rest of the community, the rest of the church. We just ask, Jesus, that more youth would find and follow you and that those who are present in our community would discover all that you have for them here in this church and then as they leave and as they go. Thank you, Father, that we can pray to you knowing that you hear our prayers, that you are the great deliverer. We pray this with total trust in you. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching us this prayer for leading us and guiding us. And will you stand as we pray the Lord's Prayer together? It'll be on the screen. Let's pray this together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Did you go in the grace of the Lord today? I hope you can stay. We have a Chick Cafe today, which is a fundraiser for our youth conference coming up in actually a couple years. But because we are so committed to our youth, there's like 20 of them that can go, which is, let's be honest, a pile of money. <laughs>